from Brooklyn, New York, I'm Adam Teeter. And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Chabal. And this is the Vine Pair Podcast. And Zach, what'd you drink, man? Because now it's, I mean, I was following you on Instagram, so I saw you drinking some stuff, but like, uh, you know, you're past. So are you, you, I think we discussed this, right? That you said after dry January, you do, you basically do at least have a glass of wine every night, right? Uh, I or drink something, pretty regularly or for sure. I would say most days, uh, I, not quite every day. We, in the rest of the year, my wife and I usually take at least Mondays off. Sometimes okay. we take a second day. But I actually am doing something that I don't usually do while we record the podcast. We're recording a little later on Thursday than normal. And my son has apparently decided this week that naps are no longer a thing he does. So I actually have a beer right here. And I'm going to open that son of a bitch and drink it <laughs> while we record because daddy needs a beer. And this is the uh, Space Rex Hazy IPA from Fremont Brewing my neck of the woods. So uh, yeah, this is one that thing that I've good, been actually. drinking. And I will tell you that the big update, which I feel like it did not make it on the Instagram. So you don't know about it, but is interesting to you, I think. And to me, uh, I had a little taste of the now aged eggnog that's been kicking around the back of my fridge uh, since uh, mid December. And how was it for our conversation? You know, it was exactly what I was sort of led to believe, but it was still kind of cool to try. Definitely way more mellow. I mean, I did a very, like, I basically made Aaron Goldfarb's recipe. Uh, in fact, not basically, I did make it. Uh, thanks, Aaron. <laughs> Great recipe. Uh, which is a, you know, you use three different spirits. You use uh, bourbon, uh, cognac, and rum. And when you when I first had it, I mean, I love eggnog, so it was super tasty. But it's definitely, the booze is, you know, pretty present. And it's just, you know, it's like intense. And this one was like very, very mellow um, in a delightful way. But I do think that like the the thought that struck me and, and it was something that I read when I was reading about this whole idea uh, is that like probably if I were to put more effort into enjoying it in the future, I will make a little like fresh eggnog to go with it because I kind of almost feel like what I want is something that's in between this very kind of mellow, smooth, almost like, you know, it's almost, uh, it's almost too smooth if that's a thing that could be true. Um, uh-huh. And and I yet I don't also want like totally fresh sort of you know nervy in your face eggnog. So maybe I'll one of these nights I'll uh, I'll make up a little fresh batch and and mix in some of the old stuff and uh, and have the best of both worlds. I should you know what next year I should make it. I've never had eggnog before, so next year I should do it. Whoa. Just yeah, I've never had it before. I mean, it was not a thing I grew up with, to be fair. Yeah. I, you know, Pacific Northwest Jews, not a big eggnog drinking community. I'd had <laughs> – I, I should say I'd had like the, you know, the like grocery store non-alcoholic eggnog, but definitely not like – and even that in limited supply, but definitely not like as a cocktail until I started making it in restaurants. You know, like one winter we we're like, let's make eggnog and put it on the menu for – you know, the cocktail menu for, for the winter time, which was cool, but definitely dangerous because it led to me drinking a lot of eggnog. That's so uh, funny. That winter. What have you been drinking? Uh, so what did I had recently that I really loved? Hmm. I mean, I, I had like a little bit of scotch earlier this week. Again, this, this thing I said I did when I had one at the end of the meal, like I talked about last week, which was pretty good. I had a, a nice bottle last night of actually like Cusimano at Nabianco. Oh, very nice. There's just, you know, a really chill bottle of wine. I had it with a I had it okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna come clean here. I don't know Uh-oh. if anyone else who listens watches TikTok as much as 
I do, but there's a, um, I mean, we're, we're coming out with a huge TikTok package uh, in the middle of this month. We're devoting a ton of content that's all going to publish at the same time to sort of how TikTok has disrupted a lot of like alcohol influencing and things like that, which we think is really interesting. Uh, some profiles of people, just sort of like the tech in general, et cetera. So I've been spending a lot of time on TikTok and there is this um, recipe that's gone crazy viral. Um, I don't know if anyone's seen, but a woman in Finland, like a year and a half ago, created this recipe. Uh, she was a chef and now everyone on TikTok has been making it. Basically you take like a pint of cherry tomatoes and you put them in a bake in a baking dish with, um, a entire block of feta, uh-huh. le- lemon zest, red pepper. Well, you add things to it, but like lemon zest, red pepper flakes, olive oil. Um, and you sort of bake the whole thing for four, 30 to 45 minutes at 400. Okay. Uh, and then you you smash it all when it comes out and it creates a, and then you add pasta water and it creates a sauce and oh, then you toss um, pasta in it like look Naomi and I like dubbed it adult mac and cheese last night like it's not it's it's so funny to watch people on TikTok being like oh this is the best Italian like I'm like this is definitely not Italian they do not use feta first of all second of all this definitely is mac and cheese um, but it is ridiculous <laughs> it is because it, it's like salty and you know just. I don't know, salty, savory. There's the, the creaminess from the feta. Um, it's just very, very tasty. And then I okay. paired it with this Cusimano and it was, it was delightful. That was, that was probably like, you know, just a really nice midweek. And the reason I asked you if you were drinking was because of course, like we took off Monday and Tuesday and had planned to not drink last night either. And, um, and then I was like, well, I made this pasta dish. And then he was like, are we really not going to have wine with this? <laughs> We're we just gonna sit here and like drink water. Yeah, and I was like, yeah, like I don't, I kind of don't want to sit here and drink water and have this like ridiculously rich dish. And something about you know just like the carcante and whatever just really was perfect to cut through it. But I, cool. I highly recommend it as a meal, especially um, for people like yourself or other parents who like are busy. My uh, my sister in law who has kids made it first and said it was like really easy to do, oh, especially cool. after she put the kids to bed. Right. Cause it's mm. like, you basically don't think you, you, you throw everything into a dish and you don't think for like 45 minutes Nice, and then it comes out and you mash it all together with the pasta you've been cooking. And it's just like, it, it's perfect. And it tastes very, very good. Um, well, my so, son is also obsessed with noodles as many. Oh, I think he probably love this too, especially if he yeah, likes mac and cheese. Like it, yeah. it's it's just adult mac and cheese, and you add like you know fresh basil to it and stuff at the end. Cool. But I can see why it became this massive sensation because it's yeah. like the the ease of it plus just the flavors it delivers. I and for a lot of people who probably also don't consider themselves like the best cooks, it's kind of foolproof, and it's just very tasty so yeah everyone go out and make it so that's what i drank recently very cool so i mean we we got some some big news to talk about this week uh so the the two biggest things and the so does this podcast is there were two massive uh you know sort of fundraising events that happened in the wine industry uh this week or spirits industry drinks industry in general one we think is bigger than the other and we'll talk about uh for the majority when that's uh, Uber buying Drizzly uh, yeah. for $1.1 billion of cash and stock. Um, we can explain that, you know, sort of when a, when a company buys another company, oftentimes it's it's not all cash, right? So so you got to imagine a majority of this price is, is being paid in stock and the Drizzly founders are going to have to stay for a little while, but massive deal, which I want to get into. And the other is obviously Vivino raising uh, over $100 million in Series D funding uh, to fund their marketplace. So again, a play for, you know, uh, e-commerce alcohol that being e-commerce wine specifically but the 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 uber the uber piece is really interesting here i mean there's a lot of things to to unpack in terms of why this happened and why now 
Um, we at VinePair, especially through our VP Pro vertical that really talks about the trade, have a lot of theories as to why this happened. If you're not subscribed to uh, the VP Pro emails and especially to uh, the look back, which my co-founder Josh puts together every Friday, which is a deep analysis of, of major movements in the industry every week, you definitely should, especially if, if this is stuff that you care about. Uh, I, I promise if you're just more interested in, in Zach and I debating uh, you know, the industry or certain you know why movements etc in general we we will we'll do this podcast too but this week is definitely much more of a business conversation so zach i have to say when, when you heard the news what was your reaction immediately well i think the the first question that came to my mind was basically is uber interested in drizzly's business model or is it interested in Drizzly's market share. And I think the answer pretty convincingly is likely the latter. And for well, those so, of you who aren't familiar, yeah, well, let's talk wanna, about what's their really, business model. <laughs> yeah, I want to be really clear because I think this is something that's that's easily mistaken, even by people who know a fair bit about um about the business, because what Drizzly really was was a platform, essentially. And, yep. and you were Drizzly was in contract with uh liquor stores and and businesses of the, of that ilk. Um, all over the country or in much of the country, they weren't everywhere because, again, states' liquor laws are all different. But basically, uh, what Drizzly provided was a, a point of contact for you, the consumer, and a nearish liquor store, and basically the platform by which the transaction was conducted between you and that liquor store. That liquor store, from a legal standpoint, from my, what everything I understand, was the was responsible for filling the order, verifying your age, you know, collecting, you know, basically collecting payment, et cetera. I think Drizzly actually collects payment. I should take that back um, and then passes along. But basically, you know, Drizzly had no delivery drivers. Drizzly had no inventory. You know, they were just a, a point of connection between the uh, the consumer and the the you know, the retailer. And in our current COVID landscape, obviously Drizzly suddenly became a huge player because for many people, the ease of having, you know, not just beer and wine, but spirits in particular, which are often harder to get, you know, via mail um, or other kinds of delivery, the ability to get those things delivered to your door and done expeditiously was really, really, really um, valuable and very um, attractive. And at the same time, fine, that's great. I think, and I suspect you agree with me that Uber has basically zero interest in that business model and uh, only really interest in the market share and the technology and all the data and stuff that, yes. that Drizzly owns. But I don't know, what, what was your reaction? So here's what I thought. I think it's really – so basically when I saw this happen, Josh and I immediately like jumped on the phone and we're like – because we're geeks about all this business stuff. And we're like, let's talk this through. So first, I want a full disclosure. Um, Gary Vaynerchuk, who has had multiple exits, is an investor in us and an investor in Drizzly. Um, but you know, I think it's interesting that he's he's been – you know, pushing Drizzly as like being the future for a long time now. And I think he also um, pushed this for the same reason um, that you're talking about, right? It's, it's about building the market share, not necessarily about the way that they currently, uh, you know, push sales. Because the way they currently push sales, as you explained, is, you know, they're passing the sale and then it's up to the, the liquor store to have the person that actually runs out with the delivery. Uh, what immediately we saw is a few things. One, Uber stock has been tanking for uh, a, a while now, right? The the idea that ride sharing is going to be this really huge market um, is not 
convinced wall street's not convinced of that right and they're not convinced of that primarily for for one main thing and that is that the two biggest companies uh in the industry uber and lyft raised a massive amount of money in order to become unicorn uh startups and basically were, have been subsidizing the cost of our rides right which is fine I'm, I'm happy for you know uh silicon valley to subsidize my rides um but you know there's there's a belief amongst wall street that the second that sort of that money runs out um and that market value, you know, market pricing has to happen in, in rides that potentially their market share is going to go down, right? There's going to be other players who then will also be able to, to invest, uh, and, and subsidize people's rides and, and Uber may not be the dominant player, right? So that's, that's the fear. So Uber made a very calculated decision that it should move immediately into, uh, delivery of all things, right? Delivery of me and you. Yes, that's what ride sharing is, but then also delivery of packages, delivery of food, et cetera. And it really honed in on food. Um, and it's gone really, really heavily into delivery of food and really now has only two main competitors in that area, uh, Grubhub and uh, DoorDash. And DoorDash's IPO has done extremely well uh, in the pandemic. So what all of these people realize pretty quickly uh, when sort of you know, everything was relaxed in COVID was that they could start adding alcohol as part of your food order. Um, we were doing that obviously to help restaurants because the government can't bring it upon themselves to actually help restaurants, right? So we'll just loosen some laws. Um, and they started realizing that a large percentage of people were adding alcohol to their orders. And so pretty quickly, uh, all of these um, companies started also adding liquor stores in the same way that uh, that Drizzly had. And I think, you know, it'd be very silly to think that there wasn't a bidding war here, but that, you know, there was a realization amongst the Grubhubs and, and Ubers of the world, which are far better funded than Drizzly, even though Drizzly raised a lot of money. Um, but when you put it in the context of the amount of money that these, these other companies have raised, it's, it's kind of ridiculous. Um, that it would be a lot easier to, instead of fight a turf battle where they were trying to convince liquor stores to switch, right, to just buy Drizzly. Um, we think, because the $1.1 billion price actually doesn't isn't justified based on on what their profits probably are right um as you were you know chatting about zach i think they they make like one dollar and 99 cents uh per delivery that's the 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 fee they charge the retailer plus um some fee right that's kind of undisclosed but that can't based on if you look at the amount of deliveries they said they've done in the last year that can't be enough to justify like a 10x valuation or, or a, a 5x valuation right so it's they're buying the market um they're buying the fact they're buying these people but uber's already said basically that like they may use their drivers well that's right now illegal <laughs> like you actually can't do that right that then 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 you don't then you're not a mark then you're not a marketing platform right um so Uber is definitely going to start trying to push the law. And I think it's interesting that like WSWA, you know, heralded this purchase. Now, to be fair, they are an investor. Just, wait, just really quick. So that's, that's the wine and spirits wholesale wholesalers of America. Just yeah. so people are familiar with what, who we're talking about here. And let's be clear. They are the main lobbyists of the, of the middle tier. Like they are, they are the people that help support the fact that the middle tier still exists. And so they, they would not want Drizzly to start changing the laws. So I think it's interesting that they think that Drizzly won't. I, I mean, sorry, that, that Uber won't now. I, I see no way Uber doesn't. Yeah. Um, I think that, you know, and it's going to be really interesting because there's been a lot of conversations as to, to what this means for the rest of alcohol online. I think, and you and I chatted about this a little bit before, I think it's going to be a lot better for the big players than the small, as it always has been. Um, I think, you know, 
we've seen the amount of money that some of the really large corporations have dumped into Drizzly during the pandemic to make sure that their bottles show up when you open the app, uh, that have paid a lot of money to drive people to the app in the first place. Um, I don't know how good it's going to be for the small players unless the model changes, right? Because right now, the reason that Drizzly only really benefits the big players. So this is why I guess it's also why the small, the small players should want Uber to start breaking the law or changing the law is that because of the way Drizzly has to operate to be inside the, you know, the lines of, of legality is they need to, they have to show you the closest liquor store to you. And then they have to hope that liquor store has what you're looking for. And for the most part, most liquor stores have the big brands. That's just the the nature of it, right? They have, because the the big brands can afford to have the people on the streets. So likelihood that you're going to open up their app and you're going to be able to see all the really amazing craft producers and boutique wineries is very, very slim. Now, if they start saying, well, we don't care. Now it can come from anywhere. All driver will go and get it for you. So it doesn't matter that you live in zip code, you know, where I live, 11201. You want to, you want from, you know, uh, Convive wine shop in the East Village that's in zip code 10009. If you're willing to pay a little bit extra, our driver will deliver it to you and still within the hour, then things start to change. Right. And then, then, then the, then this becomes really interesting. Um, but I don't know, you know, that's going to have to happen for that to occur. Yeah. Well, I think the biggest question that I have in the, you know, in the medium term and maybe even long term is, is does Uber see itself as a, as purely a delivery mechanism for alcohol from retailer to consumer? Or does it, is its ambit, as I imagine it is, bigger? And it really, is going to seek to replace those in one way or another, those last two tiers in the three tier Mm -hmm. system. Because right now, a thing that is true in this country is if for the most part, there are exceptions, of course, and depending on where you are, these exceptions may be uh, greater or lesser, but basically most beverage alcohol that's sold in this country passes as we've talked about through three tiers, producer or importer, distributor and retailer. And what does a three-tier system get you? Well, for one, it gets you a lot of different people making money on one essential transaction, right? Like between producer and consumer, there are two layers. And and that second layer in particular, the the sort of wholesaler, exists really just because coming out of prohibition, there was a lot of, you know, panic about, oh God, you know, alcohol is, you know, okay, we're gonna let it make it legal again, but we can't just let any old person sell it or buy it it has to be regulated it has to be carefully controlled and i mean we've expressed a lot of thoughts on this topic in various episodes in the past i tend to think that that view of alcohol is you know almost comically out of date and more than anything else it's it's a but it's also a big industry right now that is you know pretty static and pretty you know it's controlled by a few big players but it's really hard to say what those big players really bring to the table that's of, of benefit to either producer or consumer that couldn't be replaced mm-hmm. and this is where i think the biggest question i have is you know you mentioned the big brands uh the big you know sort of uh producers distributor or uh, sorry producers and importers that threw a lot of money behind drizzly that have been you know big on this yep you know in the end they have largely cast their fate previously with the big wholesalers because they have a sort of symbiotic relationship you know the producer or importer gets their their cut regardless right they're getting paid whatever they want to bring the product into the country or to or to manufacture the product and what happens after that obviously they want it to eventually reach a consumer but you know they're not 
and they're certainly concerned about price to some extent, but they're but they're sort of been willing to go along with the system because it's it's been what it's been, and there hasn't been a lot of public incentive and and sort of consumer level incentive to change it. But if the difference now, and one of the biggest things that I think Uber could offer that even Drizzly couldn't because they weren't really a marketplace as much as just sort of a, a pass through, is yeah. is not just. Uh, access and and speed and i think you've got more to say about speed but also selection and that i think is the area where maybe eventually either directly through uber or through competitors or other prog- other platforms or even other you know businesses that would maybe follow in uber's wake if they're able to disrupt this system that is where smaller producers i think could strongly benefit because as we've you know i've done, you and i have both done interviews with people who are producers at the smaller scale during this crisis. And one of the biggest problems for them is for so many of them, their avenue to consumer has been through restaurants and bars. And right now, many of them have very few options or outlets for their product if they're not already well represented on store shelves. And most smaller producers just aren't. That's just not how those big brands, it's not how those big stores work. It's not how any of that works. And they don't, you know, the big distributors tend to reserve space for big brands. That's just how it all, you know, it's a scale thing. And so, you know, taking apart some of the three-tier system could eventually benefit smaller producers. I also think it will certainly benefit consumers in a lot of different ways. But but you, you're really convinced that Uber is going to just kind of break shit and and dare someone to stop them? Yeah. I mean, I think – and here's why. Because they've never done anything different. <laughs> exactly. Like, you know, I, I think this idea that like, oh – Travis Kalinick is out of the business and so you know and now they have an adult in the room and no they they've never done anything different. So until they prove anyone otherwise this is how this company operates. This company operates by going in and breaking the rules and then asking for forgiveness or really pushing to change the laws. We've seen them do that just now in California. This is what they do. And so I just don't believe that Drizzly is going to to be absorbed by them and continue to, you know, operate under the same business model that it's been operating under. Now, I think you bring up something that's really interesting and, and we have to talk about, which is the 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 speed and the the fundraising when it comes to Vivino. So Vivino also raised, you know, an eye popping amount of money uh, this this year uh, this week. Sorry, um, and basically, you know, one hundred and fifty five million dollars, which is a lot of money. Um, and, and to put that in perspective, this is their Series D. To put that in perspective, in total, in total, Drizzly has raised $120 million in its history, right? So in a Series D, Vivino has raised $155 million. So there is something to be said that, like, you know, marketplaces, people are also bullish on marketplaces. The thing is, first of all, I, I, I don't think anyone else is going to raise as much as, as Vivino, right? So I think they're, they're now cementing themselves as, as, the, as, the, as the leader, right? They have the cash, right? And this is something else to be aware of. There were a lot of players in the in Drizzly space in five or six years ago. I was friends with some of them, right? Like, uh, I love the founders of Minibar. They are amazing people. Um, I think Minibar is a great product. I think you know when Minibar came into um, the, the ecosphere, especially in New York, it really dominated. It was it was the one everyone was going with. But Drizzly outraised them. I mean, that's literally what happened. Drizzly outraised them and was able to come in with a lot of cash and push them out of a lot of markets and be very, very competitive in those markets. And this is what's going to happen in this marketplace sector as well is right now, if you don't have the cash that Vivino is, has, I, I think that you shouldn't even try. Um, they just have so much capital now. And 
they are going to push, 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 and they have the users, right? So they already have this this discovery, right? They have, I, I don't know how many they, in their press release, they tout, you know, these tens, tw- hundreds of millions of users they have, but they're going to be this, this platform where, you know, you will be able to transact. Now, the difference is, and why I don't think they're the future, and I think that Drizzly is, is that unfortunately, unless Vivino figures this out, which would take even more capital than they've already raised, they're still really in the traditional model, which mm-hmm. is they're going to they're gonna give you the wine, you're going to order it, it's probably going to come through a winery or through a retailer or at a warehouse they have, and then you're going to sit and you're going to wait two to three days. Mm-hmm. And that's not, th- th- that is why alcohol online has continued to be a less than 10% purchase set because the majority of consumers want it now. Yeah. And where Uber is going to crush everyone else is within the hour. Because, yeah. you know, if I am opening my phone and I'm going on my Amazon app, which Amazon could become a player now too, or I'm going on Postmates, which Uber now also owns, right? And there's a gourmet grocery store near me. And I put in my order for uh, two dry age ribeyes and, you know, the the French fries, I'm going to turn it, you know, the potatoes, I'm going to turn into frites. I'm going to do a steak frites night at home. And then I can also go on my Uber app and make sure that the Bordeaux I want to pair with it. Don't judge me for the Bordeaux. You guys know I like it. <laughs> As two you Bordeaux know, references this podcast, are they, are they slipping you some money under the table there? <laughs> no, but you know, I, I'm actually thinking about it because I'm making, I'm making burgers tomorrow night and think I want gotcha. to open a Bordeaux. But, um, but so, you know, I, I can get that too from, from, you know, a great wine shop that I probably know that's also on, on Uber. And then I can have it all within an hour. If I did that separately, right? Let's say that I went on to Postmates, I ordered it and then I was like, okay, crap, then no got to go onto Vivino or, or wine.com or whatever and order it. And then they tell me two to three day delivery. Well, I've already, I'm already passed where I made that meal. Right. And so I think that's, that's going to be the real catch for most consumers is we have become a society that expects, you know, immediacy we're instant gratification. Right. And so, um, prime's done that to us with next day delivery, all that. I think it's going to be where Vivino might exist now for for more of the connoisseurs, right? The people who are collecting things like that. They're already on Vivino, sort of like share, you know, building their collections, sharing their ratings, having people who follow them. They might then go to the marketplace to buy things that other collectors want that they may not have any desire to to drink in the near future. Whereas like for where that real money is going to be, where the churn is going to be, is going to be if it exists at all on Uber. But here's the other thing too, right? For something like Vivino, like depending on where you are, that your ability to even go purchase a wine that you're interested in collecting or you're interested in having five days, 10 days, a month from now is going to be greatly curtailed depending on <clears throat> where you are in the country and what is available in inventory locally. Because again, this is the biggest problem that I think a lot of these marketplaces come across is just every state has different laws, every state has different inventory, and it's very difficult to provide a consistent or comprehensive uh, set of product that's available, especially when you're dealing with, you know, small scale, boutique, craft, you know, whatever terms or, or scale you're looking at. And it's the biggest problem that I think everyone right now is struggling with, which is like, you know, it's great if I build a a, a platform that that makes really interesting wines available to people or recommends them to people. But then what happens if you're in, I don't know, Wyoming, and it turns out that actually you can't get any of that wine or you're in, you're in, Mm -hmm. you know, Pennsylvania or whatever, right? Like we have all, uh, 
you know, we're all familiar with with the fact that the the liquor laws throughout this country are very different in different places. And, you know, I've had this experience. I don't use online platforms very often to buy wine, but I've looked for stuff that I'm curious in. And I just, it's like not in Washington state. Um, and right. now Washington state, I can get some stuff shipped from other states, depending. There's a few. Uh, but, you know, the point is like, I'm not, that's not everywhere. And it's clunky. And now you're dealing with a shop in another state. And then, you know, are they licensed to ship to Washington? Again, it's a mess. And it's a mess because our series of laws are a mess. And and what hasn't happened prior to now, I think, is there hasn't been any one individual player who's been motivated enough and deep pocketed enough to push against this system, which is extremely right. rickety. It's, you know, it's the termites have been eating at it forever. It's it's a, it's going to collapse at some point, but really so far, no one has been, you know, cause you and me ranting on a podcast or even <laughs> producers at medium scale or small scale, just no one cares. You know, no one is that invested financially at a big enough scale to really change these laws, to make it so that you and I can buy alcohol the way that we can buy anything else. You know, we can buy almost any other product and it doesn't matter. You know, if I want to buy, cheese that's made in Wisconsin or Vermont or New York no one I don't have to find a you know an authorized cheese wholesaler to right. take take you know take custody of this dangerous product you know transfer it to a retail store in Washington state and then sell it to me at extreme markup I can go online and and look at a creamery in any of those places and they can put it in a box and mail it to me and I can have it in a few days, you know, packed in with some ice packs or whatever, and I can be enjoying it. And in fact, my wife and I, my wife is from Wisconsin and we get cheese shipped to us from her uh, hometown creamery in Wisconsin on the regular. And that is totally not a problem. And, you know, I get it. There's, you know, alcohol is intoxicating, whatever. It, it, that's a real thing, but it's also not, I can still buy alcohol. No, you know, yeah. it, doesn't, it shouldn't matter. <laughs> it shouldn't matter what store I'm buying alcohol from, whether it happens to be across an imaginary line on a map. Like I'm still in the U S I'm not trying to, I'm not asking to be able to get wine directly shipped to me from France. That would be cool. But, um, probably cost prohibitive at this point. Um, but it's just, you know, the, the reality is that with alcohol, we we still are trapped by this incredibly antiquated system. And, and this, I was excited about this news only because it gives me some real reason to hope that in the next few years, there will be a countervailing force against uh, groups like the uh, WSWA and, you know, sort of the massive... Uh, wholesalers who obviously have an extremely their business depends on this dumb antiquated ridiculous anti-consumer system but that's their entire business and if and if those laws and those rules go away their business is going to go away or at least it's going to change dramatically and frankly probably shrink and as i have said on this podcast before lots of people who work for wholesalers are friends of mine some of them are even related to me but I would not be sad to see all of those businesses disappear because they're really just they really just keep you and me from enjoying the things we want more fully and more more cheaply and more expeditiously because of the laws that were written when basically everyone who's alive now uh, before anyone who is alive now is, was born. Pretty yeah, much. I mean, look, man, I know there's like this whole thing in the U.S. about like, you know, break up big tech and whatever. But, you know, I think the whole thing is like if big tech right now <laughs> – meeting uber wants to take on the oligopolies of you know the the, the middle tier which let's be clear there is there's really three big companies right right three two three yeah. i mean yeah. uh, right 
right? I mean, I don't want to name them. I don't want to name them by name, but I'm thinking about them in my head. I'm like, I, I think it's three, three, right? It's like three, like bring it on because it's, it's time that we, we make access to these things a lot easier. And, um, you know, and we make it so that it can be on demand and we, and, and we do that. I mean, look, there's already so many people who I know who are innovating in this space, but like when you free the markets, you free up innovation. Like it's just been proven over and over again. It's why there's the argument to break up big tech by a lot of really smart people. And it's why we should break up the middle tier because we will free up innovation. If I knew that I could create, that I could create a, a drinks product in New York and that it didn't matter if I couldn't find the market in my city, that I could still live here because maybe that's where I was able to create, but that my market happened to be in Seattle and I didn't have to move to Seattle to do that. <laughs> God that, forbid. I mean, yeah, I mean, seriously. <laughs> well, because I mean, also your your rent is just expensive as mine, and I think Amazon owns everything. But yeah, it's, like, it's not at least it's not a. There's no blizzard here, so I got that yeah, going for us. True, but you know what I mean. Like, we would allow for such amazing innovation in this country. We'd allow yeah. for all these breweries to start shipping across, you know, and I could start getting these amazing beers. I mean, it was it's just so you know crazy to me to listen to you talk about like the beer you just had, and I was like, I've never heard of that brewery nor had it. And everything you said, I was like, that sounds delicious. I want that. Yeah. Like I want to try those things. There's, so, you know, there's, there's so much of that. There's so many wines I want to try. There's so many things that I want to, you know, partake in and it would allow us to actually take advantage of being a United States. Yeah. Um, and, you know, be able to try the products from all these different States would be just so dope instead right now. It's like, no, you know, because of all these, these laws and lobbying and whatever, we are not allowed to do that. So I think that's what makes yeah the Uber news so interesting is where is it going to take sales of alcohol and you know how is it going to push you know more this idea of really of the minute on demand and make people think a lot differently about how they market themselves you know where they show up and occasion right and maybe also does this is this putting more of the the power in digital right are we thinking more digitally now than we ever have had to before right the likelihood now that you can read an article on our site right about a wine and then go on drizzly because we'll have a link to it and buy it and have it within the hour is really cool. You couldn't do that before, right? You'd have to walk in to a wine shop with your magazine or your newspaper, <laughs> right? With like, with the, with the top 10 from Eric Asimov in the New York times and see if they had any of the 10 of those wines for sale. Yeah. And if they didn't, you'd walk out and walk to the next <laughs> wine shop, you know? Well, I was going to say to, to just put one last point on this that I think is really important. And you're kind of getting at it with this, with this story. Like I, it still blows my mind that we are in this world where, you know, so much of how people connect with and learn about beverage alcohol now is through their phone. But when you, you know, through their, you know, cutting edge, brand new smartphone, and yet they might as well be using a fucking rotary phone to actually go buy it. Like, it's such a incredibly, it's just an incredibly antiquated and, 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 and a system that just doesn't even – it's not even outdated. It's like p way past outdated. And I just think like you know, whenever that system is scrapped and we build something that actually works for people's real desires and, and realities around alcohol in 2021, uh, that will be a good day. I completely agree, man. Well, Zach, this has been awesome as always. Um, 
really great conversation. I can't wait to see sort of what happens. We'll, you know, we'll do another podcast about this as things develop. Um, but yeah. If you have any thoughts, questions on, on what we chatted about, shoot us an email at podcast.vimepair.com. We'd love to hear what you think. Um, and Zach, I'll see you right back here next week. Sounds great. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you love this show as much as we love making it, then please leave us a rating or review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. Vine Pair is produced and recorded in New York City and Seattle, Washington by myself and Zach Jabal, who does all the editing and loves to get the credit. Also, I would love to give a special shout out to my VinePair co-founder, Josh Mallon, for helping me make all this possible. And also to Keith Beavers, VinePair Tasting Director, who is additionally a producer on this show. I also want to, of course, thank every other member of the VinePair team who are instrumental in all of the ideas that go into making this show every week. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again.